If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his life? For what can a man give in exchange for his life? God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Therefore, let us go forth with him outside the camp, bearing abuse with him and for him. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city which is to come. I was a prisoner in the king's prison, the prison called Conviction, and it was a very, very strange prison. There were windows, but there were windows only on one side of the prison, the side where the palace was, so that light from the palace could shine through the windows, mostly I just tried to avoid the windows because I didn't like the way I looked in the light. When I was in the hallways where there were no windows, the light was indirect. It was muted and it made my skin look like it had some color in it. And I liked the way I looked. But every time I got near one of those windows, I looked splotchy and anemic and pale, and I mostly stayed away from the windows, but not always. I would stand sometimes at the door, looking into one of the rooms and watching the beam of light cast diagonally through the air through one of the windows, and there would be something in me so strong that wanted to walk into that room, stand right in that beam of light and look out that window and see where it was coming from. And I would start in, and I couldn't because I hated the way. That light made me look so anemic, so splotchy. There were two doors, two doors on that prison. Two that I knew about, that is. One on the side of the palace. It was always open. The doors were never locked in this prison. There were no bars on the windows either. And through that door, there flooded light from the palace of the king. And I couldn't stand that light and couldn't get near that door. On the other side of the prison, there was another door, and it opened out into blackness and darkness where I used to live. And I was terrified at the darkness coming through that door. I couldn't go through it. I could have. I could have if I'd wanted to. I mean, if I'd tried hard enough, I could have gone through that door. In fact, I did try. I tried several times. It was very hard to understand what held me back. It felt mostly like terror about the dark, and yet I knew inside there was such a longing to walk through that other door right into the light, not because I was thinking about the dark at all. The light that I used to know, this is what was so strange. The light that I used to know, back where I used to live far to the south, way far away from the palace where the king's light shines, was so different, it made my skin get tan. 
It made me look attractive. I was handsome. People looked at me. They admired me. I felt self-confident and strong in that light. In this light, I looked all splotchy and anemic and weak. I was so confused. I looked out the one door into the dark and saw no light at all where I used to live and thought I enjoyed myself. And inside, I hated the light and I hated the dark and I loved the light and I loved the dark and I was trapped. I couldn't move in the prison called conviction. You wonder maybe how I got there. Let me tell you the story. I hadn't always been in the prison of conviction. For years I used to live way south over the horizon beyond the reach of the light of the king's palace. We always thought that the way to escape the king was to get as far away as you could. Then you can set up your own kingdom. You can write your own rule books. You can pretty much run your own life. And so we all did that. We, we had special rules for how to guard ourselves from ever encountering the light of the king's palace. Rule number one was stay as far away from the king and his light as you can. Don't ever read his letters. Don't ever listen to his messengers. Don't ever look toward the horizon lest that light shine over the horizon. That was rule number one in our town. And rule number two was always use imitation light. Now, you know how this works. If you want to get away from the brightness and the heat of a blazing star, you just separate yourself about four trillion miles or so. And then it's just a little flick in the darkness of your night sky. And if you want to finish it off, what do you do? You put a lamppost in your backyard. And so that was rule number two. As much artificial brightness in your life as you can possibly manage. Rule number three in our town was find substitute pleasures. You can't live without pleasure. Nobody can live without happiness. You'll find it one way or the other, right? And we knew that. We couldn't believe what we were doing. At least I can't believe now what we were doing. Creating, manufacturing all kinds of counterfeit excitements on the run from the king. I look back now and it was absolutely insane. It was crazy the way we lived in that town. Running, running, running from the king. Keeping our little candles lit so that we couldn't see the sun. Keeping, substituting little puddles of pleasure so that we wouldn't be cast into the ocean of joy. We just couldn't believe that a light that made us look so bad could bring us so much pleasure. We couldn't believe it. And so we ran from the light and we made our little imitation lamps and we made ourselves look good most of the time. Didn't always work. If the king writes a warrant for your arrest, you will be arrested. Let me tell you about the night that I was arrested and taken to the prison. There was a young man and his wife who moved into the town 
that came from who knows where, far away. We didn't know. They said that they were sent from the king and that they were there to take captive some rebel subjects back to the palace because the son of the king had some business with them and the issue was treason. Well, to my mind, this was absolutely incredible. They had no weapons. They had no soldiers. And here they were saying they were going to arrest people and take them back to the palace to deal with the son of the king. And so I said to them right off the bat, I said to them right out there in public, and just who do you think you can get to be arrested when you don't have any weapons and any soldiers to take back to be tried for treason? And they didn't seem to be bothered by that at all. In fact, they both just looked me right in the face with the most earnest longing that I've ever seen in anybody. And the man said, the warrants for arrest that determine who will be arrested are kept secret in the vault of the palace. But this much we've been told by the king. The people whose names are written on the warrants will respond when the invitation is given. Why well, is laughed right out loud? <laughs> invitation right on. Invitation to get arrested, to go back and deal with the son of the king. Arrested for treason. Why would anybody accept that invitation? And in that split second, I knew something had happened to me. Because why did I ask that question? I mean, why did I even open the possibility that there might be a reason that some would ex someone would accept the invitation to be arrested for treason and taken to the sun in the palace? Well, these two emissaries from the king didn't miss the opening either. The son of the man said, I'll tell you why people will accept the invitation to be arrested for treason when we don't have any soldiers and we don't have any weapons. And then he opened the king's book and he quoted some words from the son of the king, which went like this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and climb the steps of the gallows and follow me. For he who would save his life will lose it, and he who would lose his life will save it. And then he said, he looked up at me after he read those, and he said, as though it were just as obvious as though it were written across the sky. Some of you will accept the invitation to be arrested because you would rather save your life by losing it than lose your life by saving it. And I just stood there with my mouth open. I never heard anything like this before. I knew stories. I knew stories about this uh, son. I'd heard that he came to one of our towns one time from the palace and that they received him royally one Friday. Then they hanged him. Or they received him on Sunday and they hanged him on Friday. And then I had heard that he rose from the dead and he went back to the palace, lives now with the king, and that he's going to come out and 
take the kingdom for his own. I heard all these stories and I couldn't imagine what difference they would make whether I believed him or not. And here was this young emissary from the king telling me that I was under arrest and that I would have to go and deal with the king's son about my treason. And that was the end of my running. My friends all thought I was absolutely crazy. They thought I was absolutely crazy. But I knew I had heard the word of truth. And I invited this this couple over to my house that night. And you know what they did? One by one, they put out the artificial lights in my house. And stars came out over my sky. And I went to bed. I was in such turmoil that night. I hated the light of the king because it made me look so bad. And I was so scared of the dark. And when I woke up in the morning, I was in the prison called conviction. And that's how I got there. To the prison called conviction. Let me tell you how I got out. One day, I'd been there about a week, I think. The son of the king came to the prison. And he knocked on my door. There were no bolts, no locks. All wide open. Anybody who wanted to could leave. He knocked on my door. And I opened the door and saw him. And he looked at me and said, follow me. He just turned around walked away. And I followed him. I was just drawn after him. And he walked straight for that wide door leading to the palace light. And he stopped in the door as the light flooded in by him. And he looked at me over his shoulder. And I said, no. No. I can't go now. He waited. I said, no. And he turned around and he came back into the prison and started down another hall. And I didn't know where he was going. But I followed after him. As as close as you can follow somebody, you're just not quite sure where they're going. And suddenly he turned. I'd never seen this door before. Another door outside the prison. On the side this time. It wasn't on the north side where the light was beaming. It wasn't on the south side where the darkness was so horrible. It was right in the middle. And he stepped through that door, turned and looked over his shoulder and said, Come, I'll show you another way. And everything in me said, another way, where? And he's just walking. And I followed. And the first step I put outside the prison door, I thought was the most decisive step of my life. But I was wrong. There was going to be another one far more decisive. The path was very rough. There were roots and there were stones. He seemed to know where every root and stone was. It was very narrow. He kept looking over his shoulder to see if I was following. And I tried to read his face. It was so frustrating. No smile. No frown. I couldn't figure it out. Was he frowning inside? Was he smiling inside? Or was it both? Was his face a reflection of this path halfway between two worlds of light and dark? We walked quickly along the path and suddenly he turned into a clearing and stopped. And my heart almost burst through my chest with fear. There in the middle of this clearing was a gallows. Looked very old and rotten. 
It had steps leading up to a platform about eight feet off the ground. And there was a trap door in the gallows and a big lever on a beam and a cross beam with a coil of rope and a big noose on top. And there was an executioner standing on the gallows. And I was so angry. I was so angry at him. And I wheeled to run. And the path was gone. And I looked back at him and said, I followed you! And I looked like a wild animal around that clearing to find another way out. There was one way behind the gallows. And there was one way that was broad and black. And in the split second before I bolted through that black hole, he said, John. And I can't describe what happens when the son of the king calls you by name. He said it again, John. He who would come after me must deny himself and climb the steps of the gallows and follow me. For he who would save his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will save it. And a miracle happened. It was a miracle. It was the greatest miracle that's ever happened to me. My anger was gone. It was gone. It was the power of his voice or it was his demeanor or it was something in the air. It was gone. And he lifted his hand as though he were an usher seating me at some symphony and just went like this to the steps. I looked at his face, still no smile, no frown. But now I saw something rock solid, namely the assurance of a promise. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And then I took the most decisive step I've ever taken. And I climbed the steps to the gallows. I took my stand on the trap door and put my hands behind my back. I looked at the executioner and he had no smile and he had no frown. In fact, there was an uncanny resemblance with the son of the king. I wanted to look over my shoulder back down to the prince to see what he was doing. Everything in my life seemed to be drifting away. Everything was dying. Everything was over. Everything was gone, it seemed like. And I just closed my eyes and said, Into your hands, I commit my life. And I heard the creak of the lever. And I felt the boards shift under my feet. Crack! And the door gave way. Snap! Was it the rope? Or was it my neck? That's all I remembered. And the next thing I knew, 
I was being carried by some very strong arms, and my neck was incredibly sore. I could feel the blood running down onto my chest from the laceration. And when I opened my eyes, the first thing I saw was the scar on his neck. And the second thing I saw was the tears in his eyes. And the third thing I felt was the water on my feet. He was carrying me out into a river. It came up over my legs. I never felt anything like this in my life. This was the sweetest, softest, purest touch I had ever known. It came up around my chest and onto my neck and I felt all the pain flowing down the river as it swirled around my neck. It came up over my face and eyes and hair and cooled all the heat of my anger and took away all the sweat of my fear. And when I came up out of the water as he walked towards the other side, everything was different. And he was smiling. He carried me on up out of the water on the other side. And as he put my feet down on the grass, I realized that I was swallowed up in a light as bright and glorious as I'd ever imagined. It was ten times as bright as what used to shine through the window in the prison of conviction. And it didn't hurt. In fact, it was like honey in my eyes. It was like a mother's touch on the skin of a frightened child. The skin. My skin. He put his arm around me and he said, Come, I want to show you the grounds before you go. And I said, Go? Do I have to go? And his smile never stopped. He was so full of hope and encouragement. And he said, John, nobody stays until they've crossed the river twice. You remember that couple that I sent to arrest you? There was an uprising in the town last night. And my father is calling them in. And they'll be crossing the river tonight. Again. And I want you to take their place. I'll be with you. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. I would be very honored. I would be very honored if you would go for me. And I was so full that there came out of my mouth the words designed by God. Master, it's my pleasure. Shall we pray? Father, I pray for unbelievers and nominal believers in this room right now. That you would show them the urgency and the necessity of radical conversion.
I beg you, Father, you would show them how to seek it from Jesus Christ in following him. I beg you to come, Lord Jesus Christ, into this room right now. Stride these aisles, Father. Stride them, Spirit. Stride them, Lord Jesus Christ. Come into our midst. Reach down these rows. Arrest people. Deliver people from the prison of conviction. Guide them to the gallows. Raise them from the dead. Oh, God, let this be a morning of salvation. Let this be a morning for Christians to discover what has happened to them, the awesomeness of what has transpired in their conversion. And would you grant, oh, God, that this picture, this image, would lodge itself deep down in people's hearts and replace wrong images. Wrong images of Jesus. Wrong images of the King. Wrong images of conversion. Wrong images of life and death and service. And would you cause a healing balm to flow out of this image for months and years to come? Lifting burdens that nobody knows but you and she and he. We commit our lives into your hands, Lord Jesus. And there is no place we would rather be. In your great name we pray.